Welcome to TCBH Hangouts, episode two, where friends and contributors of the Cardboard Herald get together and just hang out talking about awesome stuff. With me on the line, I have Rob Conley of Ginger Cat Productions. What's good? <laughs> I'm Chris Douglas of Death I see Force Chris. and TCBH contributor. Hey. That what up, Chris? A little <laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> I'm drinking coffee. Sorry, guys. It's early in the morning for us Alaskans. And then, of course, we have ancillary TCBH Strike Force members, ATK creators, Eric Street and Andy Zeller. What's up, guys? It's good. How's it going? <laughs> oh, it's going good. And I, of course, am Jack Eddy, the host of this show and a contributor to the Cardboard Herald. So on the show, what do we do? I, what even is the show? We talk about awesome stuff. That's right. Um, we're talking about I board the, game I, stuff primarily. I have the worst news. What's the worst news? I, I, I'm out of coffee. Okay. Oh, that is uh, the worst news, though. That is it, it's all good, news. though, because it's a, it's a hassle. Lashes. Lashes for Rob. All the way <laughs> from Alaska, you get all the lashes <laughs> for being out of coffee. Um well, Rob, if you need to grab a hall pass, you can be excused, but I expect you back here within one minute. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and the, and the TCBH enforcers are the hall monitors, and they're real nasty. I have a quick question. Violent. Yeah. I, I have a quick question. I, I live in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Eric's in, Eric, Eric, you're in New Hampshire, correct? Mm-hmm. I don't know why I always second guess that. And the rest of you are all in Alaska. Yeah, well, I'm, not Rob. I'm in Oregon. Rob's in Oregon. Okay, we kicked him out. Am I? Am I the yeah. only one that trekked through snow to get to the podcast today? Did you have to like trek through the snow inside of your own house, or, or what's going on here? No, it's actually like blasting snow right now, and I had to walk about 25 whole feet. Do you have like a separate mother-in-law apartment on your property that has your studio? No, it's it's my garage. We we had a garage that was back behind oh, our house. Okay. Oh, mm. fascinating! Look at Mister Garage behind his house person over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had I just, to trek through a, a hallway full of my kids' toys to get here. That was about yeah. the worst. Yeah, bingo. That's <laughs> I'm with Jack on this one, man. Far <laughs> just sat up and turned to the right. I'm in bed right now, so. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's a temporary situation, but when you're a ginger I, cat, everywhere you're sitting is your bed. <laughs> you just spend a couple times sit down and purr so. is anyone else picturing him in like a robe like half open laying sideways that's how <laughs> i always pipe. picture Rob. <laughs> how about you chris you're recording oh, just you, in baby. your living room right i sure am yeah i got up made a cup of coffee sat huh? down and we're good to go oh oh we have a visitor there we go Sorry, my daughter just wished me Merry Christmas and handed me a sparkly popsicle stick. Oh, you Excellent. should probably tell her Merry Christmas, too. Merry Christmas, Meals. <laughs> you want to say Merry Christmas to everybody? You ready? Hold on. Ready? Say it. Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Thanks, Meals. High five. To clarify for everyone here, we're recording in January at this point. Yeah. <laughs> we're in February. What am I talking February, about? February, yeah. Uh, time is flying. Um, no, that's funny because for a while we were really hyping my kid up about Christmas. And I think our kids are right about the same age. And 
uh, we were telling him, you have to say Merry Christmas to other people. You wish a Merry Christmas to them, they wish it back. And then we got to his birthday, which was in January, and he all of a sudden was wishing everyone a happy birthday because of course he was. You know, the concept of any sort of holiday now is that it's everyone's holiday. So his birthday was everyone's birthday. It was the most adorable and heartwarming thing ever. And I was like, <laughs> your, your heart's going to be broken and smashed. You're going to become so jaded to the world. Just so you <laughs> wait until the it. truth comes out. Yeah, yeah. When the truth comes out, ouch. Well, just that, that, that sense of innocence, that'll go away. Yeah. I give it about 10 <laughs> years. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. a long shot well games you guys have been playing any games i got some games to talk about but i want to hear what you guys have been playing um re- most recently my wife and i've been playing uh we sort of dip back and forth between sushi go and then we finally got uh, uh unstable unicorns um, Ooh, getting the so, hardcore games going sushi go yeah unstable unicorns loving it <laughs> I, know, I know right <laughs> No, but so I mean, I think we're honestly, so actually, like, I went to school to make video games, and then like, but and like had never played anything besides like Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, like, so like, honestly, like, when Andy asked me to like, you know, start uh, ATK with him, um, that's sort of like when I like, really began getting into other board games, I guess, like, so it's uh, my, my collection is exploding kittens unstable unicorns sushi go munchkin and puzzles <laughs> that's a great starter that's a great yeah. starter set so <laughs> so we're, we're growing but uh it's you know I, I think we're starting off with the you know some of the basics so you you've been playing any of them what, what's going on here what, what's actually it, happening with these games yeah, we, 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 you know, like I was saying, we, we play Sushi Go a lot, and then the other night we, you know, we uh, drank a bunch of wine and built a very large puzzle, and I think we're, we discovered that we're puzzle people. We're very slow puzzle people, and I think that's maybe partially due to my ADD and the wine, but it was, uh, it, that was a really, uh, that was a really fun night, actually, and um, well, I actually, it made me, it made me wonder, do you guys think puzzles are games? Like, is, is that, is a puzzle a game, or is it a separate entity unto itself? I think it's, I think that's a really good question, actually, because we just did that last night, too. We were, we were gonna play a game last night, and then we found these puzzles, and we actually put two puzzles together last night, too, and it felt like kind of like we were gaming. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, it's a strange feeling. <laughs> it is. I was actually at the local con here, Platypus Con, and it had a puzzle table set up. So I guess that validates it as a game. Oh, as puzzles must be so as, proud. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know, because in a way it could be considered like a cooperative game, but are you really given an obstacle to overcome i guess you have to figure out the puzzle if it's like a jigsaw puzzle i think it's the most like boiled down bare bones pve game that you could do because like the i mean the the if, if we're gonna call the puzzle the like a game then it is in itself what you defeat and it's also the only component of the game uh, I I'm torn on it. I think that following this podcast, 
like the creator of puzzles is going to hold like a press conference <laughs> just just stoked about the recognition from the gaming community finally <laughs> we've been at this for years for decades in fact and uh to get the proper recognition we've worked so hard for is uh truly a blessing being a but, competitive yeah, I, puzzler <laughs> I, I would i would agree with that though i think it is because you know i mean you have like all all the different pieces and i mean the only object is to find like you have to f- find a starting point and then go from there and you know you typically when you're doing a puzzle you find a beginning point that is easier based on the overall image if you have something that's different that stands out so it's slightly strategic in that form um so yeah i would i I mean i would call it a really really stripped down version but uh just to be a contrarian and elitist i'm going to go ahead and say that puzzles aren't games because i I don't want them on my shelf (laughs) 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 and also i don't want to end up reviewing puzzles that's going to be a horrible dark future (laughs) i'm i'm like doing tcbh reviews this cat jigsaw puzzle it's got a thousand pieces it's got a stock photo of a cat and it says hang in there baby it this is awful when you make i it, hate my it life does make a picture of a cat <laughs> no, 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 I, I like puzzles i i'm more of a um a, like wooden puzzle type of guy rather than a okay. um like jigsaw puzzle type of guy like and the 10 piece the i also piece like puzzle there i really like my virtual puzzles you know i i like a good zelda puzzle you know breath of the wild was the best thing ever because it has like a oh. billion puzzles via the shrines in them love that i'm kind so of jealous yeah logic puzzles are where it's at but uh jigsaw i guess that's been more of like an activity to do with my grandma than anything else. <laughs> but if you add wine to it, I could see the argument. Yeah, it, it helps. You know, it's, it makes you it know. Last again. last night, I found like that our goal was just to finish it, and we were like, "All right, let's just finish it. Let's just finish yeah. it." What was the actual puzzle that you did, Eric? Oh, we did one. We um, it was like a big picture of like a this town in Italy. Um, so it was very pretty. Yeah, yeah. It was good. Italy holds a, a special place in in our hearts. Um, is the town called Rome? No. <laughs> this little old town. You guys might have never heard of it, but it's this little town called Rome. <laughs> it's pretty you know, secret. You really you know, gotta my, be in the know. <laughs> my wife's into like this Thomas Kincaid dude, and I just couldn't help but notice like that these puzzles look similar to kind of like cards from a game or some of the artwork in a game. Yeah. Totally. Just, with the, just with the lighting and stuff. It was pretty cool. Well, what are, besides puzzles, what have you been playing, Chris? I know you and December get into all the hot board games. We, um, you know, we've been playing more of the Sagrada and it's just been very uh, addicting. One thing that we were getting on was teaching, uh, teaching our 12 year old son Adventureland. Like this one's a trip because I like this Adventureland game, but um, what's Adventureland? They're like, oh, all the people in Adventureland, like this place doesn't have a name. Like (laughs) that gets me a little bit because I'm just kind of like it sounds third grade, but uh, actually playing it with three people or more seems really fun. You really can mix it up and and you just kind of, um, you know, you draw cards and there's like a little bit of a kingdom builder thing to it. You draw cards and then you place these uh, these items out on the board and you can use herbs and swords to beat these fog monsters and you get a little different Mm. objective cards and 
and uh, it, it's kind of simple, but once you start mixing it up out there with everybody else, it, it gets pretty like competitive. And I found us like telling different stories and uh, about how we were going to get to the city and get past these fog monsters. So it was just really cool. But it always came back to Adventureland. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes the name can can ruin things a little bit, but you know, sometimes it just makes it better. You got like cherry popping daddies. Uh, right. Well, I, I started, you know, we started making up our own names for for the city, state, or country, or whatever it is. It's Adventureland. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. <laughs> so, what, you know, I just that? got I just got on this old one, Pillars of the Earth. You guys ever played that? Oh, dude, did you find a copy of it? I did find a copy of it, and when I first started getting into this whole gaming phenomenon, um, I, I had made a list of like my first ones, and, and Pillars of the Earth was on there, just because we really got into this with the worker placement part of it, and so uh, that is was that, really, it was really cool. Is that based cool. on the book series at all? Yeah, it is. It, it, it is. Mm-hmm. The building the church up and everything, and... Um, It's got a really cool 3D element to it. As you play the game, it eventually constructs a church in the center or a a monastery, whatever specific spiritual temple uh, building that's constructed. (laughs) Cathedral, there we go. Um, You know, words escape me sometimes. Uh, But uh, it's kind of one of the OG, most beloved games that has been in the the modern tabletop hobby and it had been out of print forever they're finally yeah. reprinting it and i don't think that's come out yet so i imagine you got one of the older copies of that chris which are pretty highly coveted yeah and it looks like that you know i, I loved like the classic feel of it you know i was as these newer games are coming out you notice they're kind of just they they seem very uh uh i don't know they're just they, they the gameplay is a little bit a little bit i don't want to say newer but newer and this one, it's a little bit slower. It's a little bit, uh, you know, cards and then resolving everything as you go around the town. But uh, yeah, that old school classic game feel. We were loving that. I'm glad I got a. I'm glad I kind of jumped into that classic. You mentioned Kingdom Builder. Did you end up playing that with your kid? I know you were really hot on it when uh, Rob and I sat down and played it with you at PAX, where we met Absolutely. Eric and Andy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> We've actually played it, man, at least 20 times. You know, we've been really oh. doing Sunday gaming and doing the Kingdom Builder. And he pick, he picked up on it really easy. Um, yeah, Kingdom Builder how, how old skyrocketed. Is He's 12. Okay, okay. Yeah, and so he was he figured it out quick, trying to uh, uh, take spots from from each other. He's he's just getting caught up, like putting putting a, a, a settlement just like right smack in the middle. So now, anytime he pulls a card, he has to build off of that one. So we, you know, with that hermit card, we've been able to break him up a little bit and kind of be a little bit more strategic there. Hermit that, in the tower. That's one of the few games that Jack pulled out that was like. Oh, look at all of these pieces. This is a daunting game, and then he, and it was like, this is this is simple and yeah, it was like fun oh. and right. Well, yeah. one of the things that you were just mentioning, Chris, uh, the like having to get into the center for your son. I've been talking to someone about that lately, where you have little secret victories in board games, right? You know, it's like there's the win condition, but there's also my objective. It's like in playing Terraforming Mars, I have to be the tree king. You know, I have to have the most plant (laughs) life on on Mars. And as long as I get that achievement that's associated to that, you know, having the first three uh, forests on the board, 
then in my heart of hearts, I've really won the game. It doesn't matter what the <laughs> rest of the game turns out is. Or like five tribes, my wife will always, always shoot for the 15-point tile, the, the highest point tile there is. And that can be hard to do. And she may sacrifice the game in order to get that 15-point tile because in her heart, that is the objective of the game. Do it. Everything else is gravy. But... I was actually thinking Kingdom Builder may be a good game for you, Eric, if you are like really into puzzles or you and your wife are into puzzles because it has a puzzle element yeah. to it. Not only I'm gonna write that down really does quick. it have this beautiful, just gorgeous board that's just really eye popping, uh, but the uh, board itself is comprised of four quadrants and there's eight of these mats in the box, and so it is a different world map looking thing every time and it has a real puzzle quality to it as every turn you just pick a card and you place three settlements down and how you're placing them is restricted to it has to be adjacent to your existing <coughs> settlements if possible mm -hmm. and it just makes this almost like zen like state as you approach your turn you have your card and you're just like bam here's my three pieces and then it moves on there's a little bit of a kink to the process with the uh, these like special powers that can come up, but it has um, it has kind of a puzzle vibe to it. I'm a real big fan of that game. That sounds super interesting. I, I've been sort of like looking or, and thinking like more and more about like uh, role playing games that like target like a younger audience too, mm -hmm. or, or can like include a younger audience. One thing I, like I'm I'm kind of like started working on is a uh, like I want to make like a a kid's book that is also like a campaign guide for bedtime mm -hmm. stories. And you would oh, have like awesome. a giant like D10 or like two D10. Like one of them has like colors all over it. And the other one has like one through 10 on it. And so you know, like you like practice colors and numbers with kids, you know, like my daughter's only like two and a half. So like, I mean like she knows all her colors and numbers, but you know, like <laughs> it can't like hurt, you know, like, keep practicing or like right, talk right. about what they mean or whatever. And then you know, like, depending on what you roll, like different scenarios would unfold, like based on like the color number combinations that are listed in the book and stuff like that. Um, but so like, I mean, obviously uh, kingdom builder sounds like a targets, like uh, a higher uh, age, age range than that. Uh, but you know, like I, you know, I'm excited to give her or like to unleash magic, the gathering on her. Cause that's like a, a game near and dear to my heart when she's, <laughs> old enough to understand what that means yeah um, you're going to be like what a timmy you're in here yeah. with your, your scrub deck you don't even deserve me playing with a high level strategy what are those against elves? you get out of here dude <laughs> you're grounded <laughs> what a disappointment legacy goblin or bust <laughs> uh, well my my only hot tip is that uh, for Christmas Syrian got a copy of uh, what's it called it's a Haba game my first orchard and it, oh. it's not a role playing game or anything but um, uh -huh. Haba makes like modern board game designs targeted at kids and they're my first series are targeted at like the uh, two to four range and he went crazy for this game and it's a it's a cooperative game that you're just rolling a die and picking um, picking trees for their fruit, but it gets you the concept of playing in turns, following instructions, relying on a die, and then there's 
real minor strategic decisions. Um, and there's also this badass crow that is getting closer and closer to your trees. And this kid got terrified when that crow was like one away from his trees. It was like playing <laughs> pandemic or something. He was like, oh my God, oh, we gotta awesome. pick all these vegetables that before this crow eats the crow. So If you're <laughs> so looking cool. for a kid's game, yeah. that at least Sounds has like... the TCBH Kids Corner recommendation from my son. <laughs> That's awesome. Sounds like Hi-Ho Cherio. Yeah, except... <laughs> doesn't have an awful terrifying vhs attached to it yeah <laughs> did you guys ever play what is it called it's called like no buckaroo bonsai is a movie right yes but okay <laughs> but there was this this game i had when i was little that was like bronc and bucko or something like that they had this like big like mechanical bull like covered in horns and you had like little cowboys and you need to like flip like lassos onto the bull and if you ever like if you've got the most lassos on the bull you win but that was a crazy. Sorry, that just made me think of that game. It was really nuts. Are you sure you weren't just raised in a dive bar and it was an actual <laughs> mechanical bull? <laughs> People throwing rings at some some person on a mechanical bull. <laughs> I like to I, think so, but you can never be sure, you know, right? <laughs> I, I don't know what actually, goes on in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to pick up uh, the Shark Attack board game, like from way back. It was yeah. like when I was when I was little. I remember I had it, and it's the one where it had like the little, the little battery operated shark that would swim around in a circle on the board, and like you just had to avoid it. But I, I think for like nostalgia reasons, I looked into trying to find like a intact copy to to purchase. See, I think I was always a gaming snob, I guess, because as a kid, I was playing like. Uh, I'm really into Hero Quest and Dragon Strike. Per se. <laughs> you know. And you said per se. Yeah, as a exactly. Kid. <laughs> I like roll my eyes as I do it. Um, I need to be able to determine what stats my elf has in order to enjoy a game. <laughs> True RPGs, i.e. <laughs> uh, how about what have you been playing lately, Andy? Or Rob, either of you. You guys have been up to anything? I I have uh, had very little table time um, just for everything that's been going on with life. Uh, and it's been had it's very been little very... table time because you've been giving your son tummy time. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Big advocate here for tummy time. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, you were playing. You played a lot of what was it? Uh, wizard uh, battles, though, right? The Harry Potter Hogwarts battle was probably it's definitely because like the two other friends that we get together with to ever play games, that's like the number one go to because it's co-op and it's Harry Potter and we all love Harry Potter. So that's been big. How can you not? Yeah, it's that really is a, a really fun game. Um, there's a couple little things that I think like and if you look at you know reviews on online a lot of those reviews will carry the same opinions that you know you quickly realize when you're playing but all in all like it's definitely a a good fun competitive like challenging game so that's cool it has an sort of legacy mechanic to it too right or like you you're playing in stages and you don't unlock the cards until you've made it through a campaign yeah, so so typically, like, it does give you the option to choose, like, which year you're playing as because, you know, you 
each gear adds new cards, new villains. So it's, you know, things that can help you, but also things that can harm you coming into the deck. And then um, what you find when you own the game and you've played it a couple times, like we literally only ever play on the last stage now, um, especially when it's four of us. We sit down um, for anybody out there that like is looking to get that game. I will full disclosure. It's not really a spoiler, but um the biggest hint to the game is that you actually have to play roles, um, which you don't peg that game as like needing that. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem like you would really have that element to it, but that's literally like the only way you can come close to winning the last game is if everybody plays a role and you actually like stick to your role as far as building your deck per your role and all that stuff. So, Stick to your role, tank. You're supposed no, to you're take yeah. damage. Yeah, I think I think Harry's the tank in the game, and then um, I the Ron and I always end up as Ron. He's like DPS, so that's fun. I love Just that you're viewing like, this through your like League of Legends lens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's crazy. Like I I literally would have never guessed that that game. Like even after the first or second time we played especially in early game because you have like these little buffs or whatever that you know it, it definitely has that type of like you know battle arena side to it because you have like you know character specific skills that you get uh, and you acquire and you have those for late in the game like the seventh you know gamer or whatever so it's definitely a it's a fun one I, I honestly outside of of that game I've been really playing a lot of Pokemon Go with the wife cuz we'll be like out and about and little dude will fall asleep in the back and we don't want to wake him up by getting him out of the car so we end up driving around and playing Pokemon Go. So uh, my wife and I used to do that all the time. We'd go on like Pokemon Go dates like we'd like you know if we were coming home from some place and our daughter fell asleep in the back of the car there's like the public library right nearby has like four Pokestops that are like always lured or whatever. So we just like go park like right outside the public library and just like hang out and like let her sleep and, you know, catch up on our dailies or whatever. And Yeah, but have you almost fought somebody over Pokemon Go? I mean, <laughs> is that exclusive? Step off, just- bro. This is my Jigglypuff. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I was ready. I was ready to lay this kid out. Last last week, he's like eight years old. I'm sorry, sir. This is a full-grown adult who is like everyone basically... who plays Pokemon Go at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like <laughs> all the kids are like, "You still play that? That was cool, like eight years ago." And you're like, "Yeah, but... well, you're only eight, so you never played this." <laughs> yeah, so get out of my face, dude. No joke. I'm I'm playing. Like I said, this was the exact scenario. Our little dude fell asleep in the back seat. We're like, well, what are we going to do? He just crashed. He's like grouchy as anything. We're like, let's just go play Pokemon Go. So we drive down the street. Like, we'll say within a 10-mile radius of my house, there's a bunch of different, like, hot spots you can go to, like what Eric was saying. Um, and a lot of those are gyms. And with how Pokemon's set up now, um, you you used to be able to, like, drop in like say three pokemon into three different gyms and then you could hit collect and you would get 50 coins per each gym 
now they've changed it where you know it's all time based so i could have 20 pokemon in gyms but if they all get kicked out in a minute i don't get anything so if you can't uh see where i'm going with that that (laughs) drove down he drop kicked an eight-year-old dude it it came so close like (laughs) and it would have been worth it honestly (laughs) yeah dude we we drive down to this gym we battle it out you know it's like freaking 10 minutes of sitting there killing out this freaking blissey that's like endless hp and doesn't die Mm-hmm. We finally take out the gym. We put our two Pokemon in. We drive to the next spot. And by the time we get to this next spot, we start taking like a gym there. And we get our, our Pokemon back that we just dropped in this gym. I'm like, what the crap? Like, we just put those in there. And it literally says zero coins. And uh, that obviously fires me up. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I didn't get rewarded anything for my efforts there. And I, I'm already starting to fire up. So we're down at this spot and we go to leave and this other car pulls in and it's like, this is at night, mind you, or it's at least dark and nobody else is in this parking lot. And this car comes rolling through. I'm like, all right, o'clock in the morning. (laughs) No, it wasn't that late. It's honestly probably like 630. But right now, this time of year, it's dark already and nobody's out. So this car passes i'm like i don't even really think of anything of it i'm like oh maybe it's somebody from our team that's gonna drop pokemon in well we get to this next spot no (laughs) get to the next spot both those gyms are cleared out already and again zero coins i'm like yo that person went that that was down at redmond just knocked us out of that gym too like so i'm raging at this point i'm definitely heated and we wait we like stake out this other gym after we take it and this kid shows up and i i swear i eyeballed this dude worse than <laughs> i would have any other enemy that i made. and i was ready like one wrong move from that that dude and i would have gotten out and Flash started a war back, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was get a, terrible get like but... a spike strip halfway between so can't go anywhere. i think you need that song that rob dropped into the the conversation earlier yeah. that he was working on in order to be the soundtrack to your like 2 a.m street fight over pokemon go stops yo next time it happens just challenge him to a dance-off i just want to see it unfold you know you yeah, ever think I've... about how like pokemon like hitmonchan are kind of like dudes like they're they're just dudes and yet they get put in these pokeballs and everything it's like that thing isn't that far from just another human, human being that you're putting inside of this pokeball and making them He fight. has clothes even you yeah, know he's got yeah. like what if it really is everything? a guy named Chan or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Mr. Mime is Mr. <laughs> he's like he has Charles a title. Mime and you're like I choose you Charles <laughs> and fight a Snorlax. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Being a mind can't defend them. himself. He can't you know, vocalize his concerns about He'll his put situation. Fake walls around this giant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rob, you been playing any games? Uh, Mr. Mime used pretend. <laughs> I um not any board games. I played through a couple video games recently, but yeah, hey, uh, like what? Um, Mages of Australia or whatever. It's like this oh, yeah. indie. I was telling Eric about it uh, a while back, but yeah, it was this like weird indie game. Like you get a whole like 
four different kinds of spells and then a bunch of runes to put in those. And then you link the runes in different patterns and like different combinations to make your spells different. It's really cool. Is that on the Switch? Uh, no, it was, I played on PS4. Oh, okay. All other it systems might be are this. dead to me at this point. <laughs> it, <laughs> might be, it might be on the Switch. I don't know. I just It was like a buck or so on, on sale a while back, so I got it. Anything else been hitting your hands in the video game realm? Um, I picked up all three Trine games for like five bucks. Those are pretty cool. Yeah, mm. I remember playing through some Trine. The, the only thing that I didn't like about it is that I kept comparing it to the old Super Nintendo game Lost Vikings, which was like an old Blizzard property pre-Warcraft. And yeah. I kept going, have, have the, this isn't have, Lost Vikings, damn it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was such an interesting game, Lost Vikings. Again, that puzzle element, you know, you, you yeah, have your man. three different Vikings and having to arrange them in the same level and swap between them constantly. I, I loved that game. That's cool. I've never heard of that game. You, you should check it out. It's pretty dope. Uh, it's Blizzard, so you know it's like at least decent. Yeah, it's uh, Blizzard making a platformer that's a puzzle game with Vikings <laughs> in time. Has anybody ever, ever played any of like the Steam World series? Um, like I played like Steam World Dig, but there's like another one like Steam World. <sighs> I think I played the the Dig one. I think it was one of like the free games on the PlayStation Network mm-hmm. a while back. So. I've been down. They have a second one that's more elaborate, but the, they made one that's like essentially like a Steam World themed like Lost Vikings shooter. I don't know yeah. what like the appropriate term is. <laughs> Real time puzzle platformer strategy shooter. Nice. <laughs> this is why all, games all, are garbage now, is because we're trying to define everything like their it's music so genres. <laughs> this is trance wave stoner metal. <laughs> well, this is my conflict free organic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is farm to With table hint. jazz. The <laughs> hint of like bluegrass indie funk. <laughs> Well, I've been playing uh, a whole bunch of games, but the one that I'm most obsessed with right now is uh, Spirit Island, and mm. this is like a it's really oh yeah big game. Uh, I think Greater Than Games publishes it. I can't remember the designer off the top of my head, but it's a first off, it's a cooperative game, which I, I'm always excited by cooperative games, but they tend to fall into like two realms. You either got the really kind of predictable puzzle-like pandemic sort of game, which is fun, uh, and uh, I like that. Uh, or you have like these really big games that are more narrative-focused, and they go off the rails in really unpredictable ways, and they have lots of ways that you can build up a character, but again, because it just is so narrative-focused, Anything can happen, and it's hard to really anticipate um, what the game will will be like in a few turns and have um, any sort of meaningful strategy about the game. And what I love about Spirit Island is it totally has this really big game scope, yet at the same time it has kind of the predictability of one of the kind of more streamlined sort of cooperative games. And it is just 
hitting everything that I love about gaming at the moment. Like, it's got beautiful artwork. It's got asymmetric powers where you're playing as these spirits. And, like, the theme is crazy cool, too. If you guys haven't heard of it, it's you are the spirits in a tropical or Caribbean island during the age of colonialization. And so these invaders, Europeans, uh, are coming in and trying to take mm-hmm. over this island and you are like the the shadow that haunts the forest you are the rock golem that's protecting the mountains you are the ocean itself that's trying to protect this island by driving away the invaders sometimes killing them uh sometimes empowering the local inhabitants to kill them or sometimes just creating enough fear that they totally uh, run away from the island. And there's a physicality to it. Like, I, I really like board games that have, like, a real sense of geography and, and like, placement. And you have, yeah. like, the, the invaders are actually spreading from the coastland, building up cities that eventually they spread from these cities. And you right. can actually see how pushing them back towards the coast gives you way more room to play with and you're spreading your own spirit's influence uh across the island as well you know if you're the the rock giant you're starting from a a more centered location on on these mountains or whatever if you're the the ocean you literally are the coast and you're trying to pull uh, the the invaders in and it has this awesome wave mech, uh, mechanic where you're literally like going into the coastline territories and sweeping up everything as you pull it out with the tide it's it's got really cool ideas going on great artwork like if you're into something like some of the the aesthetic of Moana you know it, it's not like Disney house style but it it's steam it, it seems modeled in that vein as far as representation of these these spirits. And it just has this almost like terraforming Mars level of system interactivity and thematic resonance that's just freaking awesome. It's difficult, but it's very fun. The other thing that is so cool about it... and. I actually said this when I was playing it with my wife during our second game, when we actually kind of had the rules down. I was like, you know, this game gets really exciting when you're doing kind of okay. (laughs) Because unlike (laughs) a lot of cooperative games where you are um, building up all your uh, stuff and it seems easy at first and then it becomes completely terrible and we're on the verge of death toward the end. This one during like the second and third turn is when it's at its absolute worst. And that's not to say that it's not consistently difficult throughout, but there's a sense of empowerment and like you are seeing the, the dawn through the night, you know, you're, you're seeing it on the horizon as you play more and more and you start to build up momentum that if you're able to just harness what you've already been doing a little bit more, you can actually see how you're going to push through this. And that forward momentum reminds me a lot of something like terraforming Mars, where you're an engine builder. And at first it's like, how am I ever going to terraform this planet? It's like moving up one little increment 
every other turn, but then by like turn six, you're like, I can, you know, increase the heat six times and I'm going to get the, the oxygen leveled up like eight times and then we're Love all going to drop some lakes into Mars. This has that same sort of build up and momentum that I am just completely digging on. And it's I got remember a really cool you, look. Yeah, I remember you telling me about this game uh, when I was asking for more co-op stuff and I looked into it with the wife and, and she even was just saying that it looks like a really, really cool game. We just got to wait till we have some extra cash to pull it off. Yeah, well, you're um, like in the middle of doing like 10 different things. You you told me the other day you were like, oh yeah, I might be buying like an aquarium or like a like an a, aquatic supply store or something. I'm like, what is going on down there? Nice. Dude, I'm Always, always uh, moving, hustling, and doing a million things. Yeah, always hustling. Every so anyway, day I'm hustling. To. You have to. <laughs> yes, that's the game that I've been playing and like super stoked on. Uh, so I'll probably have a review of that sometime soon when I'm not in the middle of doing like ten other reviews. Oh, that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just going to take that audio snippet and put some video next to it, you know, take some pictures and then call it good. I, I think I, I mentioned it in another interview that I was doing and probably gave that exact same spiel. So this is actually practice rounds for the review itself. Yeah, I mean, I want to play it. So I can. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't just talk about games, or at least the games we've been playing on this podcast. We try to highlight some of the projects that we're really excited about that uh, we're seeing. Hang on, community. hang on, Jack. Somebody's audio is doing the thing. It's doing the thing. I hear uh, the thing. What's doing the thing? Uh, somebody's audio got fuzzy and clicky. I'm writing down a timestamp, 42. That was maybe me. I was on mute for a minute, and now I'm back. Not on mute. I don't know. Perfect. All right. Yeah, I hear a little scratchiness as if like someone were rubbing their butt against the microphone. <laughs> rubbing their butt against the microphone. Rubbing butt cheek. Giving it the shag carpet. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> terrible. <laughs> so unpleasant. Dude, and then letting somebody record vocals immediately. <laughs> Hey, you know, Andy is the producer here, and producers do whatever it takes in order to get the audio quality that they need. So I, I don't know what secrets you harness, Andy, but I got to imagine that some of them would be too too ticklish to tell. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's you've heard of like the like right there you have on on yours and I have one on mine is like a windscreen. But really the best way to deflect the pop sounds and the air sounds is to create a harness of hair that can, <laughs> can flourish and and transfer that that wind off to the sides of the microphone so it's not directed. That's how you get that farm to table sound. <laughs> yeah. All natural. <laughs> oh, grass fed sound. Yeah. Oh really wet. god. <laughs> Dripping wet. So wet. <laughs> Slick. 
Anyway, we <laughs> this is what happens when you get a bunch of audio nerds on a podcast. Uh, I don't know how much context you have for like the history of audio production, Eric, but you know the, this is all the kind of stuff that I could imagine happened in like some 1970s studio where they were trying to get like the crispest sound. And it's like, baby, I'm <laughs> telling you, this is going to be the way that you're going to get your gold record. We just got to get enough hair on here. <laughs> Crispest. Crispest. <laughs> the crispest, <laughs> wettest sound. <laughs> well, we don't only talk about games we've been playing on this thing. We talk about the projects that we're excited about in the community or games coming out, things that we are super stoked on. And we'll get to our own projects here in just a second. But any of you guys like seen anything going on that you are just like super hot on or excited about coming around on the horizon can i can i mention one yeah you are allowed just one there's a kickstarter for (laughs) this device that controls your shower and it prepares it for you via an app wait I saw what? I saw what does that, that even mean? Wait, wait, wait. Dude, <laughs> what so, does it prepare you? It basically has you decide like a temperature, which I don't know who in their right mind knows a specific temperature <laughs> of their shower that they Not want. Cold. Sixty-eight point three. Yeah, they. <laughs> you basically use this app. You select okay. I want my my shower prepared at seventy or ninety-eight degrees. Sounds like you're ordering an americano. Yeah. yeah and and it and it stop it starts running your shower and then it and then once it's prepared it cuts off the water and like i guess it i don't know it holds temperature because it just seals it from the top or whatever i don't know and it sends you an alert and it says your shower is prepared that's creepy and you go down and then it has like an audio player and stuff and like i don't know i just how I saw much that place do you like how much like pipe jazz work? Yeah, yeah. How much yeah. pipe work do you need in your house that That's you actually have thing. a measurable amount of time before the shower is at the temperature you need? Like, this yeah. is 2018. You can just turn on your shower and, like, maybe start to brush your teeth or something for, like, 10 seconds before the hot water is where I, it needs to be. Yeah, all I do is just I don't get undressed until I'll start the shower first. Then by the time I'm, like, undressed, it's ready to go. It's like I get undressed and I turn it on and I stand there awkwardly, like just in the bathroom. Like, Come on, expect uh, things. And- just as long as we're talking about temperature, I pretty much go with the Trinity Killer approach from Dexter, where I want the shower to be like melting my flesh off as I just <laughs> go face first into it. For sure. Other, I mean, other than that thing, I. I don't really know because I haven't I haven't had any time to like check it out, but I know I see like a ton of stuff on hate. I guess was oh like, my gosh, dude! I was literally games. just about to to yeah. mention that that game yeah. looks so metal. I love it. It looks so cool. Uh, Rob or Chris, have you seen the trailer for Hate? No, no. Okay, so this is kind of like it's a hot issue in the board game community right now. See, we're staying with only the hottest issues here on our <laughs> Board Herald Hangout. The only way to go. <laughs> but Hate is a new cool mini or not game, and they're the guys who did Zombicide and they did Blood Rage. Most recently, they released uh, Rising Sun. 
but Hate is a new game coming out, and the trailer is the most... First off, it's a board game trailer, which, welcome to 2018, because board game trailers are now going to be just an expected thing going forward. Not just in Kickstarter, Uh, but in everything. And I can't decide if it if it earns the trailer that it has by being self-aware enough of exactly what it's doing, or if it is completely out of the loop and is just terrible, the game itself looks fine, but the, the, the trailer is what you imagine like a 13 year old boy with Metallica Megadeth posters on the wall, which is (laughs) what I was at 13 years old (laughs) would be, describe the most gritty and hardcore like post-apocalyptic yet post-post-apocalyptic world where you know like all civilization has crumbled and we're back to you know fighting with broadswords and everything you know the kind of thundar the barbarian-esque type of thing yes imagine a 13 year old describing that in what terms they think are the most mature audience type of language that they can imagine and that I imagine the, the words blood and skull must have been used like a <laughs> thousand times. Infinite times. Infinite. So, and then Lord, Lord Blood Skull. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, it is something else. I'm really excited to see about how that game does and, and what actually comes out. And there's been some good parodies of it, too. Uh, the Root parody trailer that came out within like a week after is completely hilarious uh, huh. and, so they're like 400 percent funded right now yeah yeah well cool many or not everything is is like a billion percent funded they are so insane man yeah so uh, on that jack what is everybody's opinion on on kickstarters for like fully established businesses like as a designer like i don't particularly think that it really affects anything but Mm -hmm. i know there's a lot of like mixed feelings on that because every time like these big publishers that already have a huge following already have the the money and the finances to back any game they want to do and then they launch a kickstarter campaign that like like hate for example is 400 percent funded and uh, i know a lot of people have said about that might kick out the little guy or um you know the the designers that are just literally trying to do anything they can to get their game out and what's everybody's opinion on that well chris do you do any backing on kickstarter I have, and 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 especially with the ATK stuff, and and um, I I think it's I kind of see where Andy's coming from, but I don't know t- enough about it to to comment too heavily on it. But I see I see what you mean, though, Andy. Yeah, I I have some thoughts on it. Like, first off, I'm very consumer focused, so like I I want the the choice to be in the hands of the consumer, and so. Kickstarter is a, another avenue that is another way to interact with consumers. And as long as the company is consistently delivering what they promised that they were going to do, then I don't really care if a company is using it as essentially like a pre-order 
venue for them, right? You know, okay. too many or okay. not is an established company. They're going to put out hate whether or not um, they put it out as a Kickstarter or they just retailed it. And so I'm confident that if they say they're going to produce something, then they're going to produce something. You don't have to worry about the risk involved that is something inherent to um, up-and-comers who are you know, hopefully going to deliver the product that you are wanting to get. But there's all kinds of issues that can come up if you are brand new to this industry. And but, that's where... Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just... Yeah, I was going to respond in... in that regard like like i said my personal opinion like i i kind of stand with that too where i don't see it as a, a negative thing or i don't i don't feel like it's i feel like a context that could be maybe manipulated out of it is that these big game publishers are just you know uh taking over the space or you know uh, uh kind of pushing out the little guy and and i don't I don't think that that's the case at all. I could see how how that could end up like if, for example, if somebody is say a hundred dollars away from funding on their campaign and they're not getting any sort of advertisement from Kickstarter. I, I mean, I know at the end of a campaign, like Kickstarter will promote it there, and especially I would assume if you're close to your funding goal, but they're going to be blasting out these big publishers through Kickstarter and maybe that's where I could see like I could I could understand from a different perspective like how that could be frustrating to the little designers. I mean, Eric totally. and I launched launched our Kickstarter we didn't fund and I, I literally don't hold that opinion, but I can understand logically like how you know, how to see things from different per perspectives too. Yeah, and it's a platform that makes it so, you know, visibility is everything. If the biggest, freshest, hottest game from a major publisher is on there, then that may attract attention that may otherwise go to someone who's just browsing Kickstarter in general and looking for other things. Mm -hmm. And I can see it from that perspective. But from the consumer perspective, the thing that starts getting salacious and I could put on my like tinfoil hat here. I don't actually have tinfoil, but I have like a capo. <laughs> I'll put that next to my, my head. Um, is that it, at a certain point I feel becomes predatory uh, to people's instincts to want to back something or get involved in hype. And this is something that I would love to talk with a representative of Cool Mini or Not about to, to find out really what's going on here. Because at a certain point, they don't announce stretch goals until it's the next stretch goal available, right? You know, they, they have an initial campaign, but once you get to that 400% in like two days level, then they don't announce their stretch goals beyond what the next one is. So if they're at, say, uh, I don't know, $300,000, and they say, oh, if we just make it to 325000 then we'll be able to give you this. And then you get there, and then they announce another stretch goal that's like, if we just make it to 350000 then you'll get this. And I'm wondering if at the very beginning of them sitting down and planning out their campaign, if they thought if we meet our initial $200,000 stretch goal, 
in theory, we can do all of this. But we're going to parse it out so that every time we hit a benchmark, we'll announce a new benchmark based off of where we think we can get in order to make people think that if they give a little bit more, if they pay a little bit more, if they convince their friends a little bit more to hop in, then we're going to be able to give them more. Even though at a certain point, when you're getting like $300,000 for something or, you know, 600000 whatever, you know, it gets up to, you probably can put everything in that box that you're wanting to. You see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And the and, the uh, other thing that is a little bit crazy to me is the prevalence of exclusives. And it it preys on a certain psychology that I can really sympathize with because there's you know, I'm a collector of things. I got comic books on the shelf right next to me. I got like way too many guitars in this room. And then I have the whole board game thing and I got like plushies and minis and all kinds of things. I don't want to miss out on stuff. You know, I hate the idea that there's some sort of exclusive out there that if I don't jump on it now, then I will not be able to get it. But even more than me hating that I won't get that, I hate someone who will prey on that. Or I guess maybe hate is a strong word in this regard because I don't hate Cool Mini or not as a company, but I often won't back their Kickstarters because not only will the retail version often be cheaper than the buy-in version, even though you typically get more stuff, but also I don't like supporting a model where they will never give the Kickstarter exclusive content any sort of promotional run at a later point. So that means it creates this insane secondhand market where people are selling these things for more than the actual cost of the game itself. And then uh, you also have issues where the, the, the company is now putting a Kickstarter up and saying, if you don't act now, you're going to miss out on all the good stuff like you missed out on in Blood Rage or in, you know, Zombicide or whatever. So people are backing out of fear, out of missing something rather than waiting to see, is this game good? You know, they don't have the reviews. They don't have it coming out. They don't have the information that you would normally hope that a consumer would have before they make a purchase that's often a hundred bucks or more for one of these really big box games. So there's some predatory elements to it in these really, really big companies that are are utilizing Kickstarter that I I can't get behind. But, and but so the and, thing I keep thinking about is that doesn't seem to be what like the heart of Kickstarter is to me. Right. Exactly. It, it's beyond the intentions of what Kickstarter was meant to be, which is yeah. giving Andy and Eric a platform to put their game out there and say we cannot get this made unless you help us. So if you help us, then we can get this made. And if you backed at a certain level, then we'll give you a copy of this game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and also piggyback on that too. Like the, an example is monster slaughter. Eric and I, during, you know, putting our campaign together, we saw this game, both of us individually. Cause I was like, Hey, did you see that game? Like, cause as a de designer, you want to be on Kickstarter and see everything that's around and, and research that so that you know how to prepare your Kickstarter and 
hopefully be as successful as these other these other games. And I think what what piggybacks off what you're saying is not only do they have all the exclusive elements and and how you were saying everything's prepared at the beginning for anticipation of we're going to hit this amount that will automatically include all of these things. What happens as a consumer is something that I get frustrated with is like Monster Slaughter. In order for me to buy the base game to be able to play it, I had to pay $90. And that's probably because they are accounting for all these extra things that they're throwing into the game. Whereas you don't have a $45 base game that what if I don't want all that extra stuff like that extra stuff's awesome, but don't make it so i have to go to that extent and also mm-hmm. like the kickstarter campaigns that that i literally keep seeing more and more of them in sponsored ads on on mm-hmm. facebook where they're like funded in 20 seconds funded in one hour funded in three hours like e- any of that stuff like if you're funded that quick that is awesome for those those places and i i'm not trying to downplay that at all or mm-hmm. you know make it like they're evil or anything like that that is wonderful but still again that kind of that kind of shows like if you really had that ability why wouldn't you just launch like a on your website a specific page that says pre-order and then just order the game yourself like right. you know i i think that there are other ways to go around it and i could see where you know, the argument can be made. It's like David versus Goliath um, on Kickstarter now. So, you know, Mm -hmm. the, and there, there are projects where they are still small companies that Kickstarter is the only way that they could do it. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, I talked with gray Fox games is head of game development, uh, Joshua Lobkowitz for the podcast. And he, you know, talked about like this is the best avenue that we found in order to continue getting the, uh, the games to our audience and we could also stop doing this and maybe move towards non-kickstarter but we're kind of in this this weird in-between world and i totally get that and then there's also like uh the the thing that i wrote down that i wanted to talk about was another kickstarter game which is archon because i talked with the dude from that uh, just uh, uh, not too long ago, it was actually the, the podcast that I put up this week, and Casey Hill, this was his first game, and it was literally his family's company. They put this company together. It's him, his brother, his dad, and then um, the, the support of uh, really amazing people that they've gathered, and they have a mind for business, but you know, they had no idea how this would go and it funded, it got to like a hundred percent within 36 hours of them posting, but they had a really small box sleek design for this, this really small fantasy project with great artwork. And it makes sense why it funded, but you know, sometimes the people who are just getting into uh, something, they do stumble upon that success, that instantaneous success for sure. And I, I do think that there is room for established companies to still use Kickstarter because that that is going to be the way to generate hype. You know, that that's what it is, is it's a perpetual yeah. hype generation machine. Yeah. I, I just want people like I, I've heard so many stories online or, you know, from p- talking to people in general where they back a game 
thinking it is the greatest game that's ever existed and they do not want to miss out on it and it gets delivered and they just don't play it. It just sits on a shelf. It's like, I remember being really excited about that game, but I'm not sure why and I am more interested in these other games that are out now. And that doesn't always happen. I have a lot of Kickstarter games that I really love, but they're... I, I wish that it were used as a way for the smaller companies to fund in order to bring their creation to life, hopefully get it to retail. The people who believed in the project and wanted to contribute early on have the ability to get a copy of that game, but then it becomes an established game that could be vetted uh, by you know, board game reviewers such as myself or any other reviewers who are much bigger, um, you know, venues that can comment on the game's quality so the mass uh, hobby, the the people in the hobby can really decide, is this, you know, actually a good game? Did it hold true to the promise of what the Kickstarter said it would be? So what what this makes me think of is a little bit like uh, the way that uh, Steam Greenlight changed. Yeah. Um. In in that they had like so many people get like the social media following and like the votes and stuff like that to get into to get into Steam and then have zero downloads and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So I mean, like, so so they changed the way that Steam Greenlight works. Honestly, like I can I can envision a future pretty clearly in which Kickstarter maybe like parcels out like different environments like just like uh you know like we, when we were at pax unplugged like there was like obviously like the main expo hall and then the unpub room like mm-hmm. i i and you know the people in the expo hall are the people in the expo hall and the people in the unpub room are the people or projects in the unpub room so i'm i'm not saying that kickstarter needs to make like an alpha build environment where people can go to support like smaller companies but i I feel as though um, big companies absorb so much of that, like screen real estate and that screen time that Mm. emerging indie developers are chomping at the bit for, but just don't have the resources to get to. And I'm not Mm. saying that, you know, like, Honestly, like I've seen plenty of bad games on Kickstarter too. Like I understand why some games don't fund and that's sad. But there are plenty of good games that also don't fund, and I'm not saying it's because of the larger companies. Because I think, like honestly, like you know that like monster, that what was it? What was that? What was that game, Andy? Monster, the one where you play as the monsters like attacking the kids like in the house, like a reverse horror movie kind of thing. Um, like was a really interesting looking game, um, and like hate looks really cool. And what was it? Another one I was looking at Nemesis looks really interesting. Um, so I like I appreciate and like like seeing those games online. And honestly, like most of the games that I've backed on Kickstarter have been from, you know, like like Privateer Press. Like I backed their like War Machine video game or like Unstable Unicorns. Just like seemed like a thing that I that I think maybe falls more in line with like you know it was like six billion percent funded and i was like i guess i have to fund this like because it's everyone else is doing it um so well yeah they 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 lump all video or not video games but board games into one genre like they're like here's games over here you know like and i think there's there's just 
there's room for parceling so that, you know, like, cause there are people who want to support less developed stuff. And then there are people who want to buy the next game by a cool mini or not. And mm-hmm. you shouldn't take away Kickstarter from companies just cause they're successful. But you could, I think there is a, and, and I mean, you know, if I was part of Kickstarter, like if I was involved in that company, this would be something that I, I feel like I would be aware of. And, you know, like from a creator's point of view, like would really care about, um, is maybe something a little bit more niche so that you can, I don't know, <laughs> instead of searching by least funded, you could search by, you know, like independent developers or like a funding goal limit or like something like that. I don't know. Like with tinfoil hat time, Kickstarter makes much more money from the hates of the world than they do yeah. from the, <laughs> like all the other little projects being launched at the same month uh, combined. Yeah. That's true. I'm sure from a sorry, I was from a, muted. Oh no. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure, like honestly, like from a creator's point of view, I think like what I'm saying would be really great. But from a business point of view, and even honestly, like from a consumer point of view, like you were talking, like you were saying earlier, like the games that I funded were games that I was like, I know that they're going to make a game, and I know that I'm going to get what I pay for with this game. Because you know, we've we've also read horror stories, maybe more so from the beginning of Kickstarter of people, you know, like projects just disappearing with all the money, you know, like that happened and I was still scary waiting on my copy of Terramede earth sphere. I actually right. got an update <laughs> of that like two and a half, three, four years in, I don't know how long it's been, but that was my first Kickstarter project and it looks so cool. And it's been years. Right. But it's, and so we've been there, you know, like, so at the same time, like I understand why wanting to fund a game by Cool Mini or not, or like Encama or something like that. Like I, from a consumer point of view, and I'm sure like from Kickstarter's business point of view, that's the most that's the best thing to do. Yeah. Well, anyone else got any projects that they want to bring up, talk about? I'm hearing crickets. In that case, I want to hear about what projects you guys are working on. Rob, you haven't talked very much. What, what's going on in Ginger Cat Productions these days? Um, I did a music video for a buddy who just released an album. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, I made a music video for a buddy. Uh, his name's Cody Jeez. Andrews. He released a album last Monday, I believe. I went to, yeah, it was last Monday. Uh, it's called To Walk Softly on the Hard Earth. Uh, hip-hop dude um, from Vancouver, Washington. But I went to his release, and I I had a bunch of, like, it's not, like, his huge music video, but I had a bunch of live footage from his shows, so I kind of put it together and, and some studio time and whatnot. But, yeah, I worked on that, and I've been working on just making some music and trying to get the name out there so people will <laughs> hire me to edit their podcast so which everyone should because he does a much better job at it than i do <laughs> i i have enough skills to get by but rob, rob is he's the man who actually knows how to use things like compression and stuff to effective <laughs> use which by the way andy your like little introductory podcast on compression was 
illuminating and uh, a very, very good uh, thing that I hope you continue to do some of that kind of stuff too, uh, because the world needs more knowledge about how to use the tools that are available to everyone now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andy, what, uh, what, what um, program do you use, Andy? So I use primarily Pro Tools. Um, okay. But I've also used a bunch of other stuff just in the years of dabbling. Um, I, you know, more musically driven. Um, I mean, right now, like I have, I have a band and our, you know, my studio that is my garage converted. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're actually just starting to to we just finished six songs. Um, as far as like the writing process goes. So we're going to start actually recording our first like EP because we scrapped all of our old material and started over. Right. On. I've been trying to get a, a friend of mine to do this project with me, like a YouTube thing. Um, I'm slowly working to like convince him, but to do, cause he uses pro tools as well, but I use Ableton. Okay. And so I wanted to like do a comparison like video series where it's like, all right, today we're going to talk about like using impression and how it's done, you know, whatnot, um, and just compare the two, that was cool. um, the two programs to see how they're done and how it's different per program and whatnot. But, yeah, especially with with uh, stock plugins and then showing like. Um, how some of those those programs can convert into other other dolls as well like i know some uh, a perfect example is the steven slate not not the trigger program St- ssd like steven slate drums where mm-hmm. you use those more for like midi drums like stuff that you're yeah. programming out that works super different in Pro Tools versus GarageBand because GarageBand, like, you can't do some of the stuff or it'll just lock out and they don't have support for yeah. GarageBand, so. Yeah. Well, if you need someone to teach you how to take a four-track and loop a bunch of tracks into that and then <laughs> plug it directly into your computer in order to put it into a pirated copy of Cool Edit Pro when you're 13 years old, and then make what you think is the best demo that anyone has ever made and is secretly terrible, then I'm your guy. I'm still waiting <laughs> to hear this demo, Jack. I've oh, heard about man. this I, I, I think life. I got a lot of my old stuff, uh, me and a couple of buddies. Um, I think I still got Math Chicken recorded uh, somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we were idiots. Oh, my God. I need some MP3s, buddy. Dude, we've all been there. Well, Andy and Eric, aside from um, drawing awesome Cardboard (laughs) Herald-related goblins and creating some awesome music, which I'm hoping I'll have on vinyl someday in order to do a Rook and Record with, what sort of game projects have you guys been doing? We've got uh, a couple things brewing right now. Um, We're trying to work on... Uh, like a co-op game, we've got a uh, a card game that we're that, that Andy's sort of really pioneering on his on his side, and uh, on my side, I'm working on a uh, a voodoo doll escape house or like escape room kind of 
board game with card elements. I guess yeah, you could it's, say. Yeah, it's it's been really, really cool since we kind of have a little bit of time to break from ATK. Uh, that's still, you know, our primary point of interest. Um, and we're exploring <laughs> some avenues with that. We definitely, like Eric said, we have multiple projects that we're kind of working together on, but we're also individually working on so that mm-hmm. it keeps our our focus broad and and gives us a couple different options to you know to move forward with and and we pretty much keep to our same schedule that we had with ATK before the Kickstarter campaign where we you know we communicate regularly and mm-hmm. update each other on on where we're at and where we're going with everything so it almost sounds like a development studio or something ATK development Dude. right <laughs> your umbrella in like order for you guys to have all your respective projects on that's what i figured out with cardboard herald is you just need to have a brand and then all of a sudden anything you do can fall under it it's like if i start right. doing music again it's going to be like cardboard herald productions does <laughs> yeah <laughs> math chicken right. math chicken yes <laughs> on vinyl it's right. first vinyl release Oh, dude, you should rook and record yourself. Oh, my God. It would be perfect. Oh, I you should, though. That'd be so interesting. In it's like, <laughs> this, all right. This 2006 garbage hit. board game can go <laughs> <laughs> to music. Play, play Monopoly. Yeah. The Cheaters Edition. Yeah. When I'm sitting down with a puzzle, then I can put <laughs> I was I was thinking more sorry. Yeah. I think sorry is more appropriate. Upon or trouble. You. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, Chris, what are you working on these days? What sort of creative things are going on in your life? Um, well, similar to Andy, I just actually ditched a bunch of old music, and then I'm kind of putting together what uh, what an old buddy of mine called sci-fi rap. Um, I started kind of just going with the con with a concept of like you know sci-fi, funny themes, quirkiness. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of building it up. I'm learning how to kind of put a couple of machines together. I'm, I'm using the launch pad on the Ableton as well. I've been kind of messing around with, uh, FL studio 12. And so as I'm putting all that, I'm putting all that together while I'm, you know, getting ready to move and I'm going to be having a baby on the 5th of March. Yeah, so you know, while my wife's nesting, I'm nesting too. I gotta build all the, I gotta build all the stuff and put it all together and um and it was actually kind of funny because she's like, I'm nesting and she she's like, Oh, I had to put the stroller together and it was just putting the wheels on. So, <laughs> so I'm going you know, I've been quality controlling all the baby stuff, all the move stuff. Um, and it's actually been pr- been pretty cool. I've been uh, also kind of consulting and helping a couple of buddies with coaching. Uh, I'm looking forward to once the baby comes. To, uh, we're going to move in, in about around May or June. And um, we're going to be moving to Arizona. And we're going to be funning in the sun. And I'm looking forward to really diving into and finishing up um, this 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 record. And it, uh, my brother's going to be on it. It's probably going to be like a mixtape kind of thing. And uh, I just decided to kind of keep pumping and music out that was something that was always prominent in my life um in fact jack actually uh helped me continue to do that playing a little bass with jack in the early 2000s and and then i had a friend that just kind of 
uh, got me these drum machines. He started me with the, this little boss drum machine. And then I started working with this 808 drum machine that I kind of picked up faster than I thought. And uh, I'm looking forward to kind of combining that and the Fruity Loops and the Launchpad stuff. And I got all kinds of old anime samples. That's going to be kind of like my personal touch and my personal flavor on it. And we'll we'll see what happens. It's still going to probably be a few months just because I'm building content up. But uh, I've been taking feedback from a lot of people and and applying it. And I'm, I'm starting to develop something that's more closer to what I want to put out. So that's that always feels good. You know, I'm just trying to make stuff that feels good. When I that's try awesome, man. and explain Thanks. Chris's aesthetic musically, the best way I can put it is to imagine, like, get the <laughs> crappiest Casio tone keyboard you can imagine and then put on some sort of like horn section not just like a singular horn but a horn section and that's going to sound like an anime horn thing from like 1975 and you're going to play like these really triumphant horns and then put the dopest like 90s rap beats over it and it is so awesome sounding <laughs> dude it i can't wait to listen much- honestly man it is very much inspired from like the nineties. I noticed I was actually messing around. I was messing around with something in some old music and, and I was recognizing stuff and I was like, Oh my gosh, clearly I, I you know, Wu Tang clan is a good one. You know how they were sampling in some of the old Kung Fu stuff. There's some similarities there. Like clearly there was some similarities with the ghetto boys. And of course it's mature content. So yeah, well, wanna, I got to put that out there. I, I always get kind of, <laughs> some vibes of almost like uh like cypress hill and house of pain era stuff like uh, there's Mm -hmm. there's some real like it it sounds like you're pulling out old records and like what is the grittiest sounding beats i can pull from this blues album from 1947 here and put some sweet samples on top of it yeah and i really actually just got better at putting bass on it so a lot of it's it's gonna pump in the trunk too dope Thank you, sir. Well, as far as the Cardboard Herald, uh, this could be a whole episode unto itself, so maybe I'll save some of it for next time. But the main project that I'm working on is I'm finally going to try and figure out how to make some money uh, with the Cardboard Herald. And not in nice. a, a vulgar sense of, um, you know, like, how can I make some money off of it? But uh, I put tons of hours into this thing, and there are a lot of people who really help me out who who do a lot of work for the Cardboard Herald, and I would like to be able to give some sort of profit sharing and to, to really test, is this something that people find valuable enough that they'd, they'd help support? And so I'm thinking about like a Patreon or if I want to do like some sort of GoFundMe campaign or, you know, some other crowdfunding type of thing. And, you know, my this isn't like my solid pitch that I'm making to the audience right now, but it's just some of the things I'm thinking about are like a, a lot of the the content that that people respond most to is when I'm able to do things like going to conventions and. I mean, that, that's how I met Andy and Eric. And I think that Rob, Chris, and I going to PAX was among one of my favorite vacations that I've taken in life, um, only separated by me and my wife going to Germany. And 
a lot of that is because it, it was going somewhere to do something creative with specific intent with people that I really care about in a community that I really care about. And that's why I've done so much with the Cardboard Herald up until this point. And I want to be able to um, engage with an audience and say, look, if this is of value to you, then doing this will help me put money back into this thing. I can then pay for more production work. I can pay for uh, people to contribute who actually have a background and history of writing or doing uh, their own podcasting stuff uh, that they can put onto the Cardboard Held. And it allows me to get better equipment for better reviews, for, you know, lighting stuff would be helpful, better mics in order to uh, handle better audio on podcasts and that kind of thing. And then also, I'm going to look for ways of trying to reward people at certain tiers, whether that's either personal thank yous on air and various sorts, you know, sign up for Patreon and, you know, thank you at the end of podcasts, or it's sending out thank you cards to all the people who are contributing on a monthly basis, or it's even doing something like, um, you know, maybe uh, coming up with uh, some sort of way that uh, I do content that is surrounding what bigger backers might like. But that's kind of the project that uh, I'm working on and trying to decide how I go forward with it. But I'll probably have more news to share on the next time that we do one of these. Hey, him. Nice. I'm excited to see where it goes, man. Oh, Echo. Oh, exciting. Yeah, I, hey, I uh, think... I think it's definitely worthy. Um, I I know right when I met you, the, that was probably the first thing that outside of hearing your your voice out of your and watching it come out of your mouth uh, was obviously a, an interesting experience. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I can tell like you can tell immediately when when you meet you that you know you you definitely breathe and live what you're doing and and it reflects in in your your determination and your work ethic and um ultimately what comes out of what you're doing because it all it all works it's enjoyable it's it's not repetitive it's not boring it's not overdone it's it's just it's all around good stuff i second that well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate all of you guys coming on. I had so much more that I wanted to talk about. Is there anything that you guys wanted to hit on before we sign off here? Because we are already at like an hour and a half of podcasting that people are just <laughs> loving. I know they're loving it. Uh, Paper Heroes Festival of Dead Season 3 starts on Monday. Perfect. Yeah, and that's Monday uh, from the time of recording. So the Monday oh, after shoot. Super Bowl Sunday. If, uh, oh, yeah. February we'll, 5th. Yeah, yeah. And then, on that um, Paper Heroes thing. I hear they have yeah. an awesome crew working on it. It's Oh, yeah. They totally do. Um, but it's the final season of Festival of the Dead. And we have uh, somebody shouted us out to, like, the D and D like official people who are releasing this new campaign uh, for to be, to run their new book, and I guess the 
last group of people. I know Sneak Attack was one of them on the last book that they did, that they ran through it, a short campaign, and it, like, boosted their ratings, like, incredibly. So, hoping, oh, yeah, hoping to be a part of that. Congrats, but, dude. Oh yeah, I don't know. Fingers crossed for you, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they. I was among like ten other podcasts that they listed, <laughs> but <laughs> we need to get you on that Pugmire tip. That that's the yes. that's the next thing Dude. to do. Oh man, I wanted a free copy of that so bad. I just wasn't about <laughs> to spend like sixty bucks on that. <laughs> it, it sounds like it might be worth it, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll, I, we'll I mean, see if maybe we can... now. I just. I didn't have the money then, but maybe now. We'll see if we can pull some Cardboard Herald Ginger Cat Pro weight in order to get you a review copy <laughs> of Pugmire. Yeah. All right. Well, then it has been wonderful hanging out with you guys, talking about all this stuff, and I would love to do it again in the future with this whole group. So uh, thank yes. you, everyone, for coming on to the podcast. Thank you, everyone listening and hanging out with us. Because, after all, what the world needs is one more podcast, so we're happy to give it to you. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> thanks for having us, man. This is a lot of fun. Thank, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming. You're live with Jack Eddie. You're live with Jack Eddie. Okay, so Jack Eddie morning hour. Get off here. Good morning. What's your bed? <laughs> <laughs>